So whenever I run out of things to say, you know what I do? Have you ever wondered, like, how does a pastor, preacher, or teacher get up and say something different like every Sunday? Have you ever wondered that? I used to wonder that. I was like, how do they do it? And then what's worse is somebody that gets up and says the same thing every Sunday. That's a real bummer too, right? <laughs> I wouldn't want that. Um, uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> it's uh, What I do is whenever I don't know what to say, I go back to Matthew and the last time where we kind of cut off and pick right back up there. And the last time we were talking to Matthew, which was two or three months ago, we were in Matthew 19, we finished up there, and we kicked into Matthew 20. It's really amazing, though, because as I was reading Matthew 20, it confirmed what God was talking to me about. And so the two just kind of intersected perfectly. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a second. Um, so I meant to get something from the back, and I didn't do it. Kyle, are you still back there? Get, can you get those little 3 by 5 index cards? I forgot to get those. Matthew 20. You'll see what I'm talking about there at the end of the service on this one. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. What's a landowner? Somebody who owns land. Does anybody know any rich people? They own huge pieces of land. They might be building buildings on them, houses, farming, you name it. So here's a landowner. He's a, probably owned quite a bit of land who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So now we know what his land was all about. Have you ever seen a vineyard before? Those perfectly light rows of, of vines all along for grapes, for uh, obviously wine, for grape juice. And he agreed. So he goes into town. He's going to hire workers. He goes in early in the morning, we find. He agreed to pay them a denarius or denarius. You know what a denarius is? is the equivalent of one day's worth of work, a wage for one day's worth of work. So he agreed for these workers to pay them. What was the going rate for one day? And he sent them out to his vineyard. So he says, I'm going to pay you. Now go out and work. At 9 o'clock, so he must have gone out fairly early. 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others. He went back to the place where people that are looking for a job hung out. And sure enough, 9 o'clock, there were some more people. They might probably slept in a little bit. They woke up. They needed to work that day. They go into the marketplace. He says, I saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again at noon. And at 3 in the afternoon and did the same thing. There's people that would come and assemble. They must have really been sleeping in that day. Slept until late at noon, then 3 o'clock. But then he even goes at 5 in the afternoon. He went out and found still others standing around. Now, at 5 o'clock's quitting times at most places, right? But as you read through the story, it turns out quitting time was more like 6. So these guys worked for one hour. But he hired them for one hour in the afternoon. Found still others. He said, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When e evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call in the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones I hired and going on to the first ones. So the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and received their denarius. What? They received the pay for the whole day but they'd only worked one hour. 
So those who came, who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but that's how it reads to me. It is? Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> feel very insecure about, you know, mispronouncing things. Verse 11. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said. That's where I found out that they just worked an hour. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one I want to give the one who I hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. What an interesting story, right? Don't you kind of wonder how wonder what all that means? Well, let's go kind of step by step and identify the different variables in here and what they mean. Let's go back to verse 1. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And the landowner in this parable represents God. So if there's any doubt in our mind who this landowner is, it's, it's God. He owns everything. He owns the land. He owns you. He owns me. He owns this universe. We belong to God. All right? Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we live that way or not, we belong to God. And so here, it's interesting, Jesus did this several times. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. And what he was trying to say, there's no one parable that can totally, perfectly describe the kingdom of heaven. But what he would do is he'd give parables or stories that helped describe a part of the kingdom of heaven or a certain aspect of the kingdom of heaven. And it teaches us, these parables teach us how God operates. Have you ever wondered, what on earth is God doing? <laughs> why did he do this? And why did he let that happen? And why does he do this? That Read parables and you'll figure it out. The kingdom of heaven is like. It shows the ways of God. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And does that mean that I can never get to that place? No, because the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. So you get close to God, he'll, he won't bring his ways down to you. He'll bring you up to his ways. He'll bring your way of thinking up to his way of thinking. And that's called wisdom. You start seeing things from a new perspective. So anyways, the landowner represents God. Moving on this verse, it says, the landowner went out early in the morning to hire workers. Now, the morning and the day that's in line is discussed here is talking about your lifetime. You, your lifetime. You got one shot at this life. And I'm a, I'm a curious individual. I'd like to be in the Army. I would like to have been in the military. I would like to have been a doctor. I would have liked to have been in the FBI. I would have liked, I've got all these dreams. My poor wife, if it weren't for a little bit of self-restraint, we would be penniless because I'd be jumping from job to job trying all kinds of different things. But you know what? I only have one life. And I only get to do it one time. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be reincarnated, all right? I, I'm, I live one life, and the Bible says, and then is the judgment, all right? So I have one shot at this. And this generation, whether you're a millennial, 
or I'm a generation Xer, I guess. My dad's a boomer, all right? And then we have probably some generation Zs in here, all right? We have, our generation has one shot, and we have this life to live. And so the morning here, it's representing one day, says these guys have a chance to work for God one time. <laughs> some of them got it earlier than others. So the, the landowner, or God, goes out, and he finds a place where workers, potential workers, are congregated, and it's referred to them here as, in fact, uh, workers for his vineyard. So let's think about these workers. So early in the morning, these guys get up in the morning. They're like potential Christians. They're maybe could be disciples of God, but they haven't gotten there quite yet. They, they're going to be kingdom contributors someday, and they're, they're, con they're congregated there waiting in the marketplace to be hired. Why? Because they want a job. They want a job. And think about your life. When was it that God found you? It was when you became curious about God. You put yourself out there, and you said, you know what? I might become a seeker. You know, I might start being interested in God. Who knows what happened to you? Maybe you, you had a hard time in life, and all of a sudden, the stars aligned, and you're all of a sudden interested with God when you didn't used to be interested in God, all right? And that's what happened with these people is they finally made themselves available to God, and they had an encounter with God. He comes to them and says, I got a call for your life. You, you feel purposeless? I will give you purpose in your life, purpose like you couldn't have ever dreamed. So we're looking for purpose. God has purpose. You put those two together, that's a match made in heaven. That's a match made in heaven. Are you feeling purposelessness in your life? Go look for God. He's got a purpose for you. Powerful, transformational purpose for your life. So the question here <laughs> is, and here's where I start meddling. Okay, now I'm getting up on a soapbox. I might step on somebody's toes. But let me tell you, if I step on your toes today, it's because I've stepped on my own already. <laughs> All right? So this is, you point, and i got three fingers pointing back at me. But let me ask you, how much value do you contribute to your world every day? How much value are you contributing to your world every day? Is it all about you or is it about the people around you? Are you the center of your universe or is God the center of your universe? How much value, literally, are you? If you're just drawing a paycheck, going home and watching TV every night and then uh, sitting here once a week, is that value? How much value are you pouring into other people's lives? Let me give you some examples. There's this coach. I call him Coach Wooden. Other people call him, I guess it's Coach Wooden, but I'm going to call him Wooden because that's just what I'm used to. He happens to be the most successful coach of all times, and he coached the UCLA Bruins basketball team and led them to 12 championship, NCAA championships over the course of his career. That's the, the NCAA double cha championship. That's like the Super Bowl of college basketball. He did it 12 times. He had a winning streak of 88 straight wins at one point. And his winning-loss ratio was 0.8, which was well over uh, much more than half the time he won games. He coached legends like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton and did amazing things. But do you know what he described himself as? He didn't describe himself as a coach. If you asked him, what are you or who, who are you, he would always answer, I'm a teacher. 
he taught, he poured into thousands and thousands of players' lives. And many of them, their lives were changed because of how caring he was. He truly, this, the practice squad, he'd even get to know them by name and understand what their issues were, what their challenges were. He was a friend to everyone he came into contact with. He poured, in, he poured value into people's life as a coach. He cared deeply for his players. Um, he, he was, here's another one that stuck out. He was an example of what a good man should be. Are you an example of what a good person should be? And if you're thinking, get down on your, oh, I've been lame all my life, well, stop being lame. Stop looking at the past and letting your past define your future and be the person who you want to be today. Stop waiting around. You can do it. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So just do it. Stop waiting around and stop looking at the past and let it define your future. So this is an example of coach. So a coach can pour value into his world, her world, all right? Here's another one. This is an interesting one. I, I heard this a long time ago. There was an old farmer who lived out in the country, all right, way out away from uh, big cities or anything, and, but he asked God one thing. He said, God, I want to help people, and I want to lead people to you. And he, as, as he prayed that prayer, more cars broke down right in front of his farm than he could count. So the people would stop by. They'd see the little house, the little light out in the middle of nowhere, and they'd come and ask to make a call from his house. He's sure, absolutely. They'd call the wrecker, a friend, or whoever to come pick him up. Well, he had a beat-up old red couch, and he'd say, you know what, while you're waiting, why don't you sit down here on this couch? And he led more people to the Lord out in that old country farm. Let me tell you, how much value are you contributing in your world? You got a little microcosm. Do something with it for crying out loud. Contribute. Pour into people. I was talking to some unnamed person here in this church just a couple of weeks ago, and she told me, you know what? I was at my hairdresser, and I started telling my hairdresser about Jesus. You know what? Every opportunity you get, pour into people. It may not always be an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. It might be something else. But you're showing love, and you're making a difference in your world, for crying out loud. You can do it. And so when Jesus calls these workers, he's saying, go into my vineyard and do something with what you have. Create value. Produce value. So these were potential kingdom contributors. So they went into his vineyard. Now, the vineyard is... uh, a symbol of the world, of your world. Can we touch all 8 billion people in our world? No, we can touch those who we come into contact with. And that's a lot more than most other people are doing. And so in verse 2 of Matthew 20, uh, he agrees to pay them this denarius for the day, for their lifespan. I'm going to give you a reward for what you did in your life. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And um, that denarius, in this, in this case at least to me, represents eternal life. He's going to give you eternal life. Not going to give you. He's giving you eternal life right now. Do you remember what it was like to live your life without Jesus? It was dead. (laughs) All right? It was depressing. It was bondage. When you come to know Jesus, you receive eternal life right then and there, and you start living in that life. 
and it's different. Things look different. Things feel different. You perceive life differently. And so he gave them, he agreed to give them eternal life. So I'm going to paraphrase these couple of verses here. God agreed to give eternal life to people who accepted him early in their lives when they were, say, a child. And they spent the rest of their lives contributing to their world. That's an amazing thought. And that can be you starting today if it isn't already you now. So again, in verse 3, at 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes out and sees some others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And um, I want to say this again. These people position themselves to find God. They position. They went to the marketplace to be hired. Are you positioning yourself to find God? But here again, 9 o'clock, let's just say these guys were teenagers. They found God when they were teens. How many of you guys found God when you were a teenager? Anybody? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was me. How many of you guys found God when you were a child? A few of us, all right? You're going to see a sprinkling uh, throughout people's lives as to when they find God. But in Second Chronicles 16.9, find this interesting. We're, we finally get an interest for God, but we find out that God's been interested in us all along. Second Corinthians 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Second Chronicles 16.9. But at 9 o'clock, he goes out and finds some more. Let's say those are the people in their teenagers that when they find God. In verse 4, he told them, Go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Then he goes out again at noon. Well, let's say at noon that represents people who found God when they were in their 20s and 30s. Anybody like that? 20s and 30s? All right, so that's who it's talking about. About noontime. Then about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and did the same. Say those are people in their 40s or 50s. Anybody in their 40s or 50s find God? All right, maybe a couple. All right, awesome. Okay, then about verse 6, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing around all day long doing nothing? And God's asking some of those right now. There's some of us in this room right now. God's saying, why have you been standing around doing nothing? Now I'm stepping on toes, so forgive me. All right, you hear me? But God's asked me that same question. (laughs) He's asking all of us. Why are you standing around doing nothing? Ask yourself that question. Get up and start living for God. You can do it. It's not that hard. (laughs) In fact, it's easier to live for God than to live for yourself. Because when you're living for yourself, you're trying to figure out the right thing to do and do the best thing for yourself, and you bang into walls and mess yourself up. When you live for God, the way is a lot easier. It's a a lot lighter. It's a lot easier. You're still going to have troubles. I'm not going to deny that. But God's on your side. He's with you. When are you going to stop doing nothing? Why have you been standing around? Because no one hired us, he answered. Well, that's a kind of a silly excuse. It was actually because they hadn't been in the marketplace at the beginning of the day. They'd been somewhere else. But they finally made themselves available. And this represents people who are, say, in their 60s or 70s. They've lived their whole life, and they finally find God in their elderly years, maybe even on their deathbed. Now, I'm... I have this theory. I can't find it in the Bible, but I see the nature of God, and I believe what I'm about to say makes total sense. I think we're going to get to heaven. I pray all of us get to heaven. <laughs> all right? I believe we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to find heaven 
full of people who in their dying breath gave their heart to God. These people, last minute, they didn't contribute much at all throughout life, but you know what? It's God's will to save everybody who is willing. I love this. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, He's not willing that any should perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, and yes, I do believe in hell. I believe there's two places you can end up at, heaven or hell. Why do I believe that? Because the Bible describes it as such. I don't want to go to hell, do you? <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to, I want to be with God for all eternity. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So anyways, I, I really believe a lot of people have given their heart in that last minute that last do you, have you ever noticed this that it seems when people are dying they come to this moment of clarity they sit up in their hospital bed they talk to their relatives maybe their mind's been gone for years but all of a sudden they have this moment of clarity and they, it seems like my goodness are they okay you know i believe god gives people that last chance that last chance and um Never forget hearing this story. This was amazing. There was a, a guy, and I, I may not have all the details exactly right, but his rental car broke down uh, outside, of outside of town somewhere in Illinois, and um, maybe he ran out of gas. I don't know what it was, but this limousine at night pulls up, and um, this wealthy man rolls down the window and says, hey, do you need any help? He says, yeah, can you take me to the nearest gas station or nearest town? So he jumps in the limousine, they get to talking, and um, the man whose car broke down was a born-again Christian. And he began to share his faith in Jesus and who Jesus was. And in that short period of time, he led this executive, this, this wealthy man, led him to the Lord. The man gave him his card. He was just ex overjoyed with, with his you know, knowledge of God. Now, he gave him his card. He said, if you ever come to Chicago come look me up and so the guy put it in his pocket thanked him got out and got taken care of never saw the man again five years later this uh this man went to chicago still had the business card and uh looked up the address well it was a high-rise one of these high-rise uh, buildings there in chicago he went up to the highest floor up there and asked for this individual well when he asked the receptionist for this individual or face looked kind of turned white and she said well uh, she said hold on a second and so um, she, long story short he ends up in this office with this lady and the lady asks him why on earth are you asking for this man and he said well I you know I he told the story not the part that he had led him to the Lord but you know that he had met him five years ago and um, the lady just looked at him she says well he passed away she, she said what what date was that, more or less? That very night, that limousine had gotten into accident and that man was killed. And this lady had been angry, it was his wife actually, had been angry with God all of these years because her, her husband had been unsaved and she was a Christian. And she just broke down into tears, thanking the Lord that her husband had actually been saved. Let me tell you what, heaven is going to be full of people who make a commitment to Christ. Now, I don't encourage you to wait a lifetime to do that. I encourage you to do that right now because we're not promised tomorrow. Anything could happen. And furthermore, why do you want to waste half your life not being a contributor into your world? 
You can only contribute with Jesus, the life of Jesus in you. So anyways, we go on in verse 8, and the evening came. So that's the end of the life of these people. The owner calls in the foreman to call in the, the workers to give them their wages. And he starts, strangely enough, with the last ones, the ones who only worked an hour and works his way. Who worked uh, from the beginning of the day. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon each received the denarius. So when the ones who came, uh, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work in the heat of the day. But he answered to them, you know, I'm not being fair. You agreed to work for the denarius. Don't I have the right to do with my own money as I want to? Are you envious that I'm generous? So the last shall be first and the first will be last. Now, I've been a Christian, oh, good grief, a committed Christian uh, for about 30 years, right? Yeah, about 30 years. When I was about 19 or 20 is when I really said, you know, I'm going to get serious. I'm going to stop goofing around here. And I've lived 30 years. I am so happy that God saves people at the last minute. I am perfectly fine with them having eternal life just as me having eternal life. So be it. I would never to be one to complain and gripe. I worked so hard. I put all this effort in, and, and so-and-so didn't do squat, and they're getting the same reward I do. I don't care. I'm happy. I want everybody to get eternal life. I'll work so that that happens. Would you? Would you work with me? <laughs> would you put in the effort and the time and the emotion and the heartbreak sometimes? that it takes to see people come to know Jesus and then stay with Jesus? Would you do that with me? Would you make that level of commitment? But Matthew Henry, this, this commentator from back in, I don't know, the 1600s, 1700s or earlier, I can't remember, he had an interesting conclusion on this statement of the last shall be first. And he, he says three things, and I want to share them with you. The first one is, it indicates when this whole response that the landowner gives is, is first this. God is not a debtor to man. God doesn't owe you or me anything. We owe God. All right? And we talked about this last Sunday. Just because I pray and have faith doesn't entitle me to an answered prayer. Do you get it? Just because I work doesn't entitle me to a paycheck. I am I owe, or no one owes me anything. No one owes me anything. I put, uh, the only about the only social media I'm on is LinkedIn. I put this, this uh, picture of this lady running up a snow mountain, like free, and I put right beside it in big, bold words, no one owes me anything with a couple of thoughts about that. You, we need, you know the freest place you can be is when no one owes you anything. But you know what? Even freer than that is when you owe God. We owe God big time. We are debtors to God. God is not our debtor to us. Secondly, it's funny when people who have not been saved, maybe you've been on drugs your whole life or you've you wasted away your time, your money, and then all of a sudden you come to know God. It's shocking how powerful that person is. 
versus the person who's been a Christian their whole life. They're a good churchgoer. They do, they, they do good things. They do this. Versus the person close to the end of their life, they find God and something lights them on and they're, they, they burn bright for God. All right? And that's sometimes why the last will be first is because the last ones really crammed in a lot of stuff in the little time they knew Jesus. All right? And I challenge you, if you're a church goer, we're going to talk about this next Sunday, and step some more on your toes or on my toes. If you're just a church goer, stop it already. All right? We want to contribute into the kingdom of heaven. We want to contribute into our world. And so it's interesting that many who are last are the ones that burn brightest for Jesus because they lived their lives so miserably when they got to know God. They saw the contrast and how wonderful it was, and they did everything they could for the Lord. So that's the second observation that Matthew Henry makes. And the third one is this, is the recompense of the reward has nothing to do with the time of their conversion, which we've already kind of talked about that. When you give to your life to Jesus, has no bearing on whether God is going to reward you more or less. He's going to give you eternal life. And that's very encouraging. It shows that it's not based on my works that I'm saved. It's based on what Jesus, the, what he's done. So this story, this is uh, just a few more minutes here. This story is wrapped up for me into one word, and this is what God has been dealing with me about. It has a common theme, and it's, it's wrapped up into one, one word, and it's commitment. Commitment. There were those who committed their lives early on, middle of their lives, or late in life. They made a commitment to the Lord, and they decided they were going to pour into their world everything that God had given them. It's more blessed to give than to receive. All right. They 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 were going to be contributors. They were committed to this. And so they committed. We uh, there's commitment issues with your efforts. There's commitment of your time and there's commitment of your emotions. <laughs> and there's co there's financial commitments. But that's that's aside, because if you commit your life, you're going to commit your finances as well. Believe me. You, you definitely will. But I'm not here to talk about money. I'm here to talk about your time, your effort and your emotion. Because it's hard to, to commit your emotion to other people because they might just step all over your emotions. Has anybody had anybody step on your emotions before? It hurts. It's painful, right? Do you lay it back out there again as a Christian? You bet you. You bet you because Jesus laid down his life. We're to lay down our lives as well. All right? A commitment. A commitment. All right? And so God, God owns this world. He owns you and me. It's time for us to make a commitment to God. <laughs> it's time for us to make a commitment to God. And I'm talking very, very, very tangibly and uh, very clearly. But commitment is made up of two pieces. Two words make up commitment. Faithfulness and willingness. Faithfulness and willingness. And let's just kind of brainstorm. What, what is faithfulness? Well, Faithfulness is being full of faith, faithfulness, all right? How much faith do you have in God? <laughs> How much? Are you full of faith? Are you half full of faith? Or are you a little bit full of faith? I don't care. Whatever the level of faith is, start using it, all right? And the Bible says if whatever is entrusted with a little bit, you'll be entrusted with more. If you use what you have, God will give you more of it. 
So if you say, oh, I don't have much faith, well, stop griping about it and use the little bit of faith that you have. All right, faithfulness. What is a faithful person? Well, it's a person that you can rely on. All right, if I tell one of my children to do this, that, or the other, for the most part, I fully trust that it's going to get done. They're faithful. They're trustworthy. They're reliable. Um, furthermore, the Bible says that faith without works is dead. So true faith means action. It means action. It means I have faith, therefore I'm going to go do something about it. Um, and then lastly, I would think I've thought about this as well. Whenever you're consistently faithful, people are confident in you. They're confident. It means that people, others can be confident in you. How faithful are you? I want you to just stop. Don't raise your hand. Don't make any weird expressions with your face. All right. Don't grimace whenever I ask you this. How faithful are you to the Lord? All right. How faithful are you to the Lord? And this isn't a condemning question. The devil can take this and twist it. And you walk out of this door feeling really bad about yourself. That's not what I'm trying to do. All right. If you if you're a little bit faithful, use it. Don't don't worry about the absence of faith. Worry about the presence of faith and use the little bit of faith that you have. But the second piece of committedness is willingness. And a willing person is, you know, you ask me to do something. If my answer is most often yes, then I'm a willing person. And, and if I do what I say I'm going to do. All right. So, yes, it, it in willingness also has a connotation of servanthood, being service oriented. You know who the wealthiest people in the world are? Customer service oriented people. All right. So if you really want to align your physical thing with with your attitudes, be service oriented, be a servant. And, you know, not only will you be blessed spiritually, I believe you'll be blessed physically as well. Amen. All right. So it has a connotation. Willingness is about servanthood. And listen to this. It's about contributing and not consuming. All right. Who are the people that get hurt most in church? Not not because somebody was mean to them. It's because they're consumers. <laughs> Whenever you don't get what you expect to get, then you get your feathers ruffled. I'm not going to that church anymore. I'm not going to work in that company anymore. But when you're a contributor, you don't get your feelings hurt as often because you're focused on what I can do, not what the others should be doing for me. That's the kingdom of heaven. You're a contributor. You're not a consumer. All right. Do we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Receive, receive, receive. But then it's time to give, 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 give to whom much is given. Much is required. And there's nothing more wonderful than giving. In fact, this is another kind of quote that's been in my mind. It's not about the wealth that comes to you. It's about the wealth that comes out of you. Man, God's given you riches. There's nothing richer than feeling it come out of you to bless someone else. All right. So that has to do with willingness. And then willingness also has to do about seeing the value that you can give to someone else. If you see a gap, a need, go fill it. You know, go do what no one else is willing to do. That's another good quote. Go do what no one else is willing to do. You'll be highly successful in life but you'll be highly, even higher, more successful in the kingdom of heaven when you do what you, when you're willing to do what others aren't willing to do. So commitment requires just one thing, though. OK, it's faithfulness, it's willingness, but it requires one thing. You got to want to. 
If you don't want to be committed, you're not going to be committed. you got to want to. And desire comes from on high. God has to give you the desire. The Bible says it, that he works in us both to will, that's to want, and to act according to his purpose. So if you don't have a desire to be committed, just ask Jesus. Say, God, give me more of a desire to be committed to you, to be committed to you. Give me the desire. I do that all the time with all kinds of stuff. I'm praying for the desire to exercise because I know it's healthy. I need to exercise. I don't have the time for it. I don't have the desire for it. But you know what? As I'm praying for the desire, God's given me a desire. So Cole and I are out running and I'm trying to lift weights and I'm trying to do this out of the other. If you lack desire for something that's important to you, just pray that prayer. God, give me the desire and he will give it to you. That goes for reading your Bible, for going to church, for all of these things, for just about anything that you need desire for. So let's see. Here's the last little thing that I'll tell you. and We'll be done. Don't worry. Um, you can't be, listen to this. Oh, this is really going to pound us, okay? <laughs> I'll put it in my terms, so it's not you, it's me. I can't be fully committed to God without being fully committed to his body, to, to Jesus' body. Let me say that again. I can't be committed to Jesus unless I'm committed to his body. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about body, I'm talking about the church. Because the Bible talks about that. Christ is the head of the church, his body. All right? So I can't be committed to Jesus without being committed to his body. All right? Now, I didn't believe that a few years ago. <laughs> Personally, I really didn't. I didn't really like church that much, to be frank with you. There's some things that happened I struggled with. And um, I went to church because I had to, not because I wanted to. I'll be totally honest with you. This is fairly recent. It wasn't like 20 or 30 years ago. It's a lot more recent than that. And there's a lot of Christians that believe that. I love Jesus. I just hate church. <laughs> and they have their reasons. We all do. I mean, bad stuff happens in churches too. All right, I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, you can't be fully committed to Jesus without being committed to his body. And that's something you have to grapple with and you have to come to grips with. And you have to have God do some healing inside of you, maybe, possibly. But you know what? It, it's the truth. And so we have to, to believe it. So let me give you some verses that support that and then give you some practical, some practical examples that will support that. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, an interesting, an interesting scripture. It says, and you'd have to read the context, but I'm just going to read this one verse. It says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, but then by the will of God, they also give themselves to us. All right. You give yourself to God. You got to give yourself to God's people as well. All right. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 34. Jesus said, replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. In other words, it's just as important as it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is not an empty love. Jesus never preached an empty love. He preached a love that was tangible and manifested itself and was visible and feelable. All right. So if I say I love you and then I don't show you love, you can pretty much doubt my love. All right. And so here again, it's saying love God. You better love people as well. 
you better love people as well. And then 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And this piece, by the way, we're going to get into more detail next week. But 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. You can't be a body if you're not playing your part. You can't be on a team if you're not playing your position. You can't be in a job if you're not playing the part the corporate thing that you're supposed to be doing, whether it's accounting or HR or whatever it is, you've got to play your part. Otherwise, the whole body or team falls apart. Doesn't that make sense? Are you coming to church? Or are you being a part of the church? Think about it. Think about it. So let me give you a couple examples that we'll finish up with. Can I commit myself to my boss without committing myself to my company? So I say, I love you. Let's say my boss's name is Jim. It's not, but let's say it is. Jim, you're my favorite boss. I'm here for you, buddy. But don't show up all week long to, to the company to work? No, that's foolishness. That's stupidity. We can't commit ourselves to Jesus without committing ourselves to his body. Listen to this. Can I commit myself to my lovely spouse and not to my family? Say, I love you. I'll, I'll spend all my life with you. I'm not going to spend a minute with these kids because they drive me crazy. <laughs> of course not. That's foolishness. Hey, do we do it as Christians, though? Yeah. I love you, Jesus, but don't ask me to go to that church. Those guys are idiots. Or they hurt me. Or I don't like, I don't like those people. I don't have time for it, God, but I love you. God's looking at you like, are you crazy? What are you, what have you been smoking, man? God would never say that, but what, are, what have you been smoking? <laughs> Seriously, Christian, thousands of American Christians believe this. It's a bad, it's a, it's a, it's a wrong thing. My, my kids, all of them have been in some kind of sports, volleyball, basketball, football. Um, but you know what? When, when, <laughs> when my kid doesn't want to go to practice, they're letting their team down. It's not about the coach. It's not about whether they look good. It's their team is hurt when they don't show up to practice. Well, the same goes for, for us as Christians. So in 2020, we must grow in our commitment to God, which includes a greater commitment to his body. Does that make sense? Right? I hope I haven't hurt anybody's feelings, but if I have, I'm sorry, but it's the truth. You know, we got to come to grips with this stuff. This is serious business. So Tina and I have committed ourselves to this church as volunteer pastors. We don't get paid. We do this for two reasons, all right? We do this because God told us to do it, so that's good enough, right? But we also do it because we want to do it. We enjoy it. Now, if we as your examples are doing this, can't you do the same thing? <laughs> I have a full-time job. I have kids. I have sports that my kids are in. I got. If you're busy, I bet I'm busier. <laughs> I bet I am. If I can do it, you can do it. All right? Make a commitment to Jesus this, this week for 2020 and go deeper with him. And so what I'd like you to do, Brother Jimmy, if you don't mind, and maybe Tina, if, can you? I've given you, this is where the rubber meets the road. I hate theory without, without practice. It drives me crazy. That's why I didn't like college, because it's a bunch of people thinking without doing. But 
Anyways, um, I would like you to thoughtfully write down what you would like to commit to Jesus this year. What is your commitment? And um, do you have to do this? Well, no, I can't force you to do this, but it's really a good, this is not a New Year's resolution, by the way. This is, <coughs> this is a, uh, a partnership that you and God are going to make together of what, what you're going to do for him. And I want to give you some examples. Don't, don't start, I mean, if you have some on the top of your mind, go ahead and write it. But if you want to listen to me, I'll give you some ideas. You might say, I would like to read my Bible at least 15 minutes, five days a week. God, I commit that to you. Is he going to zap you if you fail? No, no, he's not going to zap you. But you're going higher than maybe where you're at right now. This is just an example. Or you might say, I want to start using the gift that God has given me in this church body this year. I don't know what your gifts are, but you, you probably do. I want to start using my gifts for Jesus this year. All right? These aren't goals. This is a commitment. It's kind of different. I would like to, here's a third one, I would like to start participating in discipleship on Wednesday nights. Maybe you don't come on Wednesday nights and you'd like to. That could be a commitment that you make. I'm going to start praying for my loved ones every week this year. My unsaved loved ones. Thank you, man. I'm going to start serving someone who is homebound by visiting and encouraging them this year. That could be a commitment that you make. You're giving value. You know why we're so miserable a lot of times is all we think about is ourselves. <laughs> me, 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 me. I can't do this. I'm this, and this didn't work out for me. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others and start pouring, pouring into other people's lives. I'm going to speak up at work and start telling people about who Jesus is and what he does. One of these days, I'm going to get in a world of hurt because I tell people <laughs> in emails that I'm praying for them, uh, I'm work emails, you know, uh, hey, you know, I'm praying for you. God is faithful. <laughs> I'm probably going to get in all kinds of trouble one of these days. But you know what? Who cares? All right. We're here to share the love of Jesus with as many people as we possibly can. We've got a day to work with. The Bible says work while it's while it's day, because at night no one can work. That's what the Bible says. We're given one shot in life to tell people who Jesus is, to show who people is, to who Jesus is, all right? We need to do that. So I'm looking this year, God, this isn't me. I This goes against my nature. For, for me, I let people do whatever they want to do, you know? I don't want to step on your toes. I don't want to be confrontational. I'll let you, you know, you live your life, I'll live mine. That's my nature. But when God gets grips me like this and says, no, Let's start challenging ourselves to go deeper and higher with God this year. Let's challenge ourselves. So write down, this is for you, not giving it back to me. This is for you. Okay, so if you were worried about that, I'm not going to go collecting all of these things. You're going to write down your, your commitment to the Lord, and we're going to try to find, I don't know if these things exist, but a little bookmark that you can write in permanent marker. Once you've got it kind of clarified in your mind and you've got it written down real succinctly, we're going to give you a bookmark, hopefully, that you can write that down in permanent marker, stick it in a book, hopefully stick it in your Bible, and it's going to be there in front of you the whole year long. Now, here's the second thing. I want to call every single one of you from ages 12 on up, male or female. 
and I'm going to ask you what your commitment is, and I'm going to write it down, and I'm personally going to pray for you all year long. And I mean it. It is time, folks, to make a commitment to the Lord. And commitment doesn't work without accountability. And so I'm going to, and if you say, Steve, I don't feel comfortable sharing, that's fine. Steve, please don't call me. Okay, I won't. But I'm offering to call each and every one of you. And I want to know what your commitment is so that I can pray for you. So I can pray for you. We're going to talk about this for two or three more Sundays. And the 2020 is about commitment. I've been asking the Lord, God, what, what do you want this year? Last year, can I tell you what it was? I would think throughout the year, God, what are you doing <laughs> sometimes? What are you doing this year? And the picture that I kept getting was of us digging, 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 and stopping and pausing, wiping our brow, taking a drink, and going after it again, digging. And there's two, two scenarios where digging could, could be applicable here. One is you're plowing a field to drop some good seed in there. That could be one. But another one is digging to lay a foundation. And last year, I believe we were digging up hard places in our lives, things that needed to be addressed, digging those things up. And this year, God wants us to begin to lay a foundation of commitment to Jesus and Jesus alone. Because the Bible says he, Jesus is our cornerstone. He's the foundation, all right? If we start building on anything else other than Jesus in our lives, if you build your life on your talents, on your gifts, on your fame, on your beauty, on whatever, it's going to crumble. It's going to crumble. So we build our foundation on Jesus. And that only that requires commitment, faithfulness, and willingness.